This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Today is a chat with Ren Tan. Ren is a recently graduated student and somebody who I met just through some Zoom panels, all these awesome Zoom queer memoir panels that I was doing when my book was released. And then Ren also did this awesome thing on Instagram, which is took Save Yourself, my book, on this photography tour, like like they put the book in different places and then wrote these beautiful captions. It's called, it's on Instagram as little gay book tour. And I just have been watching this unfold throughout the pandemic and, and runs like this really impressive writer. And I became curious about this person, you know, who are you and what is it like to graduate right now? And um, asked them if they wanted to be on the podcast and they were um, completely surprised <laughs> Also, it was a great chat. So I I hope that you enjoy this one and that you are finding some peace in your completely weird life right now. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? I will, but I want to change things up a bit if you'll be willing to try a thing with me. Can I put you on the spot? Sure. Um, I'll be curious to hear how you would introduce me if you like had to, and then I'll introduce myself the way I want to be introduced. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I know, I wonder if this is coming from a place of when I first asked you to be on the podcast, you were like, why was a question that you said back to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if that might be part of the motivation for this. And you can tell me whether or not that's true when you introduce yourself. But Mm -hmm. the reason I wanted to talk to you is, um, so when my book tour was canceled, Mm -hmm. I started doing a bunch of Zoom events. Mm -hmm. And even though there were like hundreds of people on them, it started to become clear who was like, coming back again and again. And um, also you started, so you were somebody who I saw like sort of in the mix. And mm-hmm. then I, and then also um, you did a little photo project, I guess would be what it would be called the little gay book tour, which had like its own Instagram. That was the book, my book, save yourself in different places. Mm-hmm. And so when so what i would introduce you as is somebody who when you were writing these posts you were saying like these very beautiful and emotional things it's just that i was tagged in all of them because it was like a picture of my book in different places but then the mm-hmm. like the text or whatever it's called the caption would mm-hmm. be like this sort of long piece of writing long um, right yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. and i think i became curious about who you were because I learned some things from these posts. Like I learned that you were just about to graduate from college and I learned that you 
um, are not from the United States originally. Mm -hmm. And I learned um, that you were trying to figure out what to do next in your life. And just because of my age and job, I don't have like a ton of access to people who are your age. And I thought that not only were you a good writer, but I also thought um, that I was curious to, to hear what it might like be like to be in the moment that that you're in during this this crisis. So I was. Um, so how I would introduce you, I would say, this is a human being I met on the internet, um, or became aware of on the internet that I am curious to find out more about because we have some things in common and some things I are not part of my lived experience at all. For instance, being a young person right now, and um, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Very wow. long answer. Oh boy. That's tough to follow. How would you introduce yourself? <laughs> so the way I would introduce myself is in Malay, which is the national language of Malaysia where I'm from. Um, in Malay, the collective noun for words is break, a break of words. And that is the best description I can think of for the place that I occupy in this world as someone who's two different generations of immigrant in two different countries who speaks a few languages, but not my mother tongue who grew up Christian in an extended Buddhist family in a Muslim country. Um, and who, like you said, graduated from college into this simultaneous pandemic recession and revolution. Hi, my name is Ren. <laughs> <laughs> See Ren, that was very, that was very, I, this is exactly what I what I was hoping for from this conversation. Can you um, tell I'm even about just, this at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, there's something that you said in there. It was the first thing you said, and I think I'm going to get it wrong in repeating it, but you said mm -hmm. part of two generations of immigrants. Is that what you said? Two different generations of immigrant and two different Two countries. different. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk, to, can you just start there and talk to me about what that means? Sure. So um, I'm ethnically Chinese. Um, my depending on how you count, either grandparents or great-grandparents um, came from China to Malaysia. And then um, I'm a first or second, depending on how you count, immigrant to the U.S. So there's a lot Wait, going on there. <laughs> what does is, what is depending on how you count mean? So specifically for the U.S., my mm -hmm. parents came here and they were lucky enough to get full scholarships back in the day to study here. Um, and they lived here for a time and worked here for a time and eventually moved back to Malaysia, but they brought a lot of what they learned and some of the media and culture that they absorbed here back with them. So I feel like I grew up really American by Malaysian sure. standards and really Malaysian by American standards. So there's a weird kind of blending of generations there. Also my accent, like this is me attempting to mimic an American accent. This is not how I sound normally. No, oh. quote unquote. I didn't know that. Um, I think that I just have only called, I've only heard your voice calling on you in a like Q and A session. So, mm -hmm. so um, is that like, that's a conscious choice you're making it to adopt an American accent? It in this is because, and I am very lucky that I am someone who was able to kind of pick up the accent to the extent that I'm able to. I know it gets shaky in places and I sometimes trip up over vowels, but um, 
I got asked a lot, just like getting a coffee or a donut. People would hear my accent and ask, where are you from? And then it's not just me and the person who is taking my order. It's everyone else in line or everyone else in the shop who immediately singles me out as an other from like a single sentence I say. And that just became so tiring because it doesn't matter where I'm from or why I'm here. It matters what I do while I'm here. And I just got so tired of complete strangers being unable to see past that kind of foreigner lens. That's really interesting. You know, I can relate to that in some ways, Ron, because I think I think that, um, and actually that's literally an example that I use. When I talk about the experience of um, coming out and like how exhausting that is, because I think that if you're outside the queer community, people tend to talk about it like, when did you come out? It's it's like this finite moment that happens mm-hmm. once and it's to your parents. That's what we yeah. mean by that. But, you know, in in real life, I mean, it doesn't matter like how many button-down shirts and haircuts I have. Mm-hmm. There There is a moment where like, I talk about it like bagels, actually, <laughs> not donuts. But like, if you're like, you know, that moment of like, you're getting, you're like at the bagel shop or whatever. And the person's like, and you're like getting two of them, you know, to go. And the person's like, oh, taking it home to your boyfriend. And you're like, what am I doing in this moment here? <laughs> yeah. Like, am I, like, am I, is this some, like, what's the, what's the play? You know, is it like right. sort of betraying myself, I guess, just to get mm-hmm. the fuck out of there and be like, yep, my boy. Or is it like to come out to this person and you don't know who's around you and how strange that all is, like how personal things get sort of at any moment when you have, yeah. when you, when you can be put into, when you can be othered, mm-hmm. it just can, things can get personal in any moment in any context. And that that's just like such a strange yeah. experience. So um, kind of on that note, I was in a poetry workshop a year and a half ago, and I wrote a chapbook of poetry that was intensely personal about my grandmotherhood just passed and about you know reckoning with cultural differences and being the person that I am kind of in this gap where language does not always fit um, and I was invited to do a poetry reading by my professor who is such a sweetheart but who is also an older white lady and so the, the audience there was primarily white people in their 60s and 70s and here I was reading all these poems about Malaysia and about Chinese culture and diasporic identity. Um, and when I got when I finished, I was kind of milling around the reception, terrified out of my mind because I was the only person my age or who looked like me there. And the first person who walked up to me said, "Your English is so good. How? Like why?" And that immediately became all that anyone talked to me about instead of any of the themes or what I said in any way. And maybe that's because I didn't do a good job of connecting with them through poetry, but I think it's more that the, that is the stumbling block that the identity is the stumbling block that people Yeah, no, I'm just going to shake my head a little bit on that. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't there, but, you know, based again, just based on my own experience, it's like, the number of times that somebody has told me that like my jokes are include gay content and I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I know, I know, but also <laughs> you see the, you know, that's what you're seeing because 
it's you know unusual or whatever it's out of the mainstream mm -hmm. representation of this thing so like if i was a straight dude talking about my relationship like you don't see the straightness so anyway this is all just I, i'm 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 just going to, I'm going to hasten a guess that it probably is the second one that you were saying, not the, not that you got in your own way, but, but maybe yeah. that, um, other people got in their own way in encountering mm -hmm. you. Let me, can I ask you a question that is like, this is, you know, so embarrassing, but it's just true. I don't know anything about, um, the relationship between China and Malaysia. Like, are those, are, is that chill? How is that? How is the relationship <laughs> there? <laughs> okay, let's talk about colonialism. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I've heard of colonialism. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know anything about those specific countries. So, yes, please. Well, I've if heard the Catholic Church is big on it. Um, <laughs> oh, they are. Yes, they are. Fun, fun times. Well, I grew up in the Salvation Army, so I, I get that in mm -hmm. a religious sense a little bit. But um, so... Um, the long story short of the history of Malaysia is that um, some people moved up from Indonesia and settled here. That's the ethnic Malays. Um, and then the Portuguese and the British came along and colonized us. Um, and they brought in workers from China and from India to kind of help grow the place and work in the mines and build up a successful trading business. Um, and then because the British are kind of dicks, um, full shade at the British, I'm sorry. But <laughs> so in 1957, we gained our independence by basically writing a letter saying, please let us go. And their response was, because we don't want to go to the trouble of moving back all the immigrant Chinese and Indian workers, you all need to learn how to get along. Like we're piecing out of here, leaving behind the problem that we caused. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so my country is younger than my grandmother. Um, oh, wow. Basically. Um, <laughs> right, and, right. Yeah. And the message that's so, preached there is... Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say the message that's preached there is still very much one of tolerance rather than acceptance mm. as far as race or religion or really anything goes. So that's interesting to grow up in. So if you said, so if you're ethnically Chinese living mm -hmm. in Malaysia, you would be received as like a, like the outsider that we need to make peace with, that sort of vibe, like you're in that category of humans? Yeah, and I think part of the reason why I ended up leaving that country is because at least while I'm here, I can pretend that when people say, go back to where you came from, there's a basis for it. <laughs> Tragic, oh man true. yeah well and also and i don't know how comfortable you are talking about this um so you can you know create a boundary at any place but i also know again just from like reading stuff that you've written and and you posted videos and stuff and i you're very good at communicating uh, about yourself and so it's really cool to get to know you through those posts but i know that like your experience of being in the US has been mm -hmm. a queer experience and that that might not be something that you could carry back with you if you were to move back to Malaysia. Are you comfortable talking about that at all? I am. I'm just trying to see what the straightest line through this is. We'll take um, the queerest line. 
these are jokes. These are jokes. Oh man. Um, also, hang on a second. You read my posts? What the heck? Yeah. Look, here's the thing. I mean, I'm a human being in the world, and I'm very curious about. Uh, yeah, I've been very engaged with anybody that's been posting about the book, and and you know, I, I think it's. I didn't get a chance to um, have any in-person events, mm -hmm. and it's such a personal project. The book is really like it's pretty. It's pretty personal, and mm -hmm. um, I feel like something that can be very overwhelming, actually. And I've sort of talked mm -hmm. about this in some of the Zoom panels. Is like after a show is usually when I get a chance to meet people, and I'm like, your body is not okay after you perform. You're full of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you're like you're experiencing a high you're, and it's very hard to be present with people even though I would like to be. And I also feel like it's not really about me in that moment. Like it's sort of about giving space for the other person because oftentimes it's like a queer person who has something that they want to say that, you know, they, they feel like moved or they feel othered in this situation. It feels like really what I'm trying to do is hold space. And sometimes the easier thing could be to um, like interact with what people are saying online because it's, I can receive it at a time that works a little better in terms of being able to take in what people are. I read the stuff that people say. Yeah, I really appreciate I read your that. stuff. And I'm very glad I didn't know this while I was actually putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I thought, yeah, I was super, super curious what was going on with you. So anyway, mm -hmm. um, going back to this yes. question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this relates, I think, to what you were talking about in your book as well, um, about not having sex ed. See, we didn't even watch an abortion, <laughs> which is really missed out. <laughs> Watching an abortion religion class is the way to go. Um, so what we had was a single chapter on reproduction um, and for like all different animals as well as humans. So it was very clinical. <laughs> Very anatomical. <laughs> this is how you create a new being. Was, humans, humans are doing such a bad job of talking about sex. That's hilarious to me. The idea that it's like a lizard, a tiger, <laughs> and then you. Like, that's very funny. But keep going. I think actually, the one that got us all stumped even more than humans was the fish. Because, like, you how know, do legit, fish? I don't. If you wanna, I think it's, okay, here's what I think it is. I think that some lay the eggs and then some come along and fertilize the eggs. Yeah, I think but also sex. like depends on the fish and a whole bunch of other things. So we were all more distracted by the fish than like sure. actual sure. Ooh, sex. Um, yeah, so like sex is not something that is talked about. Even affection, I think arranged marriages are still pretty common. And mm -hmm. a lot of people marry like for practicality reasons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if he's an okay person that you kind of get along with, and if he seems dependable, and if he's committed to staying with you, you marry him, even if you don't necessarily feel things like you make it work. And so a lot of times it comes across to me more like a business partnership than actual yeah. emotions. The emotions were always secondary or tertiary to the relationship and to marriage. So it wasn't just that there was next to no concept of queerness it was that there was next to no concept of any form of romance other than like movies and books and those were seen as 
fantasy and fiction. And in an idealized world, this is what you get to have. But for the most part, what happens is you meet the person, you get together with them first, and then over time, you learn to love them. You know, that's really interesting that you say that because it's just something I think a lot about in terms of like the benefits of queerness. Cause like mm-hmm. coming out at the bagel shop is one of the, is one of the stressors, <laughs> but um, it's not, it's not exactly as you describe in the U S mm-hmm. you know, as you know, but something that I think we don't talk a lot about is the way that like um, income inequality and people, like how much, I just, you know, the business partnership side mm-hmm. of a marriage exists yep. here too. We just don't talk about it the same way because we don't mm-hmm. think of our marriages as being arranged marriages, mm-hmm. but they still have like a division of labor thing that's going mm-hmm. on, you know, in terms of like the mother being home with the kids. Like these things are, those are business arrangements. Mm-hmm. And I think that one thing that when people were worried about marriage equality, like destroying marriage, mm-hmm. I think one thing people were really worried about was actually that business arrangement failing Mm -hmm. what if people really did marry for other reasons and I'm not saying all queer relationships are pure or anything like that because there's always something to be gained Mm -hmm. even from friendships you know it just is like anything protection safety or or whatever it is emotional support um but it's just it's like very interesting to think about like it's just something I don't think we acknowledge at all in American Mm -hmm. culture and we are very good at thinking that like arranged marriages are like huh like what a shocking thing from the past. But meanwhile, like we certainly have power dynamics and mm-hmm. arrangements. I mean, I, I don't yeah. actually believe that like our president, for instance, is in like a love marriage, you know? <laughs> this is, I'm just going out on a limb here. Um, but anyway. I'm unable to comment on account of I am here on a visa and I am mildly terrified that anything I say can yeah, yeah, be used fair against enough, me. Fair enough, but, fair enough, fair enough. but that is a good point. Um, <laughs> but so, so the point was um, growing up, it was like you focus on your studies first. Like there was this whole. The other thing about growing up in a conservative Muslim country is that you're not supposed to be dating until you're through with school pretty much. So single gender schools are very common. And I went to an all girls like public school for 11 years. So that is a different dynamic. School. Do you mean also college? Is that expected for folks in Malaysia? Oh boy. Okay. So (laughs) I'm sorry. This is turning into a TED talk where I'm like, let me tell you about my country. Um, So there's an, there's a lot of intersectionality in the way that plays out for different people. For example, girls are less likely to pursue a higher education because their parents mm-hmm. tend to want to marry them off or they don't really see a point in paying for mm-hmm. an expensive college education. Um, some of my friends got diplomas instead of degrees so that they could enter the workforce faster. Um, and it defers based on race as well, because for, especially for Chinese kids, um, speaking from my own experience, a lot of our families want us to eventually leave the country because they see that things are stacked against us here. So there's a massive brain drain of ethnic Chinese Malaysians leaving the country and studying in the US like I am, or in the UK, or in Canada, in Australia, and then eventually settling down there. Um, In the US, 
when you say settling down there, you mean in that in that different country? Yeah. So, for example, I have family in I think four or five different countries at this point. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is all. And then you said you also grew up in the Salvation Army. I don't want to like fully, you know, make this only about your past, but in a Muslim country. Yeah. You're also in a religion that's not, or is that, is that, is religious, is that protected? Religious freedom protected? I've been in in writing, (laughs) in writing, yes, but um, Islam is the official religion of the country and you know, people are free to say things like, you're sinners, you're all going to hell. Um, mm-hmm. Our God will punish all of you for it. How dare you wear those short shorts in public? <laughs> um, and actually, so one of the reasons why I have complicated feelings about a home that has never really felt like home is that my family, my childhood home is across the street from a university. And this is the top or like second best university for science in the country. And two years ago, I found out that they held an LGBT conversion contest with massive air quotes around those words. Um, So that is one example of how the official religion of the country bleeds into everything that we do and is allowed to bleed into that um, in a way that you know, um, Christianity is seen as an oppressed religion in my country. So it was very strange to leave that religion and then come here where if I were still Christian, I am no longer oppressed, but privileged. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, you got to the U S and what city do you live in? I'm currently a little ways outside of Philadelphia. Um, I'm living right next door to the campus of the college I just graduated from still. And when you got to the U.S., well, actually, I don't, I don't know this, like in that whole situation that you're describing, were you already aware of what was going on for you? Like, because I think you also use they, they them pronouns, correct? Thank you. Yes. And identify as non-binary? Mm-hmm. So queerness, gender identity, did you know those things coming to the U.S.? Yes and no. So I knew because I had a massive crush on a girl at my all-girls school for four years. That's the other thing they don't tell you about going to an all-girls school is that there are just so many possibilities. There's a lot of girls. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, it's actually all of them, yeah. It's actually all of them. They're not really stopping anything. Um, Mm. But so I knew I liked girls. Um, I think I identified as bi or pan at the time. I also thought I was ace, which I later found out has to do with gender identity and the way that interacts with sexuality. Um, But I only figured out I was non-binary after coming here and meeting other trans and non-binary people and kind of finding that they, them pronouns fit me in ways that she, her never did. Yeah, and um, when you're things like identifying as as ace, I'm I'm just like imagining that that's not something you learned at your like fish sex ed class or through the <laughs> Salvation Army. <laughs> so how were you like getting information about what, e- even thinking about what you might be, like what might be true for you? 
This is the beauty of being born in or after the digital age is that the internet was there. Um, and actually, I think, I think it was the girl I had a crush on at the time who kind of nudged me in the direction of knowing that LGBTQ plus labels existed. I don't think it was a conscious choice on her part, but shout out to that person. Um, yeah. yeah. The internet mostly. And like, were you watching shows? Were you like, like what, like what did the, what did that look like? Your exploration of the internet? That was very, so the thing I've realized about the internet is that a lot of times you need to know what to look for. That's exactly why yeah. I was just asking. Cause like opening a, you know, like opening <laughs> the internet doesn't necessarily like take you to the, especially something like, like identifying as ace. Like that's so, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like several degrees into a specificity you know yeah. where um it's just interesting to think about like this isn't so different you know like mm -hmm. i i was I'm t a teenager pre the digital age but i was like going mm -hmm. to blockbuster video which was a video store and like cruising down the aisles that were like the art films or the foreign films it turns mm -hmm. out it, that's like where all the good shit was <laughs> and then just being like, oh, I don't even know why I want to rent this. And then like mm -hmm. renting a movie that I would like then watch in the basement of my parents' house. But I didn't necessarily have access to like terms or even understanding about what I was watching. Like I knew what I was yeah. watching, but it was just kind of like stumbles. Like that's sort of what, but I feel like maybe the internet allows for stumbles. I also think sometimes it has, you have to, you have to like have the search terms. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think I have and equal but opposite experience with that in the mm -hmm. sense that I found access to the labels but not the content. Interesting. So, for example, um, Alice Wu's Saving Face has been out for 16 years now. Yes. And I found out, like, last month that it existed, and I was so furious. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You know what? I saw it in the theaters. And um, I... Was it, I was, uh, how old are you? I'm turning 23 this year. I was your age. I was 22. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, talking to Alice for Query was like one of the, she was so, <laughs> I think she was like, her new, her new film hadn't come out yet. And I think mm -hmm. she didn't yet know that she had like fans, like real, real fans. She was like, yeah. seemed to be, she was so sweet and seemed Aww. to be like genuinely blown away mm -hmm. by how like into the. I will um, just say Ellie Chu, like if you ever want to know what I was like in school, that is me. That character is me. Alice Wu has somehow transplanted character. me into, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are obviously many things that are different about that character, but essentially, you know, looks like me, dresses painfully like me. Um, yeah, seems old beyond her years. Watching that movie, was that the first time you'd ever seen a character that you felt so much identification with? Or had you seen something like that before? Well, I think it's that thing that queer people do where we find ourselves in characters that were very much not made for us. Um, so I had, I had <laughs> yeah. been doing... Yeah, been fair enough. Well, yeah. But that was, the, that was the first time where I was like, oh, there are more than... There's more than one identity that's, that I share with this character. That's insane. But yes. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Okay, so then you got to the U.S. And what was your experience of being on campus? And I'm just imagining that like I'm not at an American university right now. I haven't been in many years, but I when I visit, it's usually I'm like brought to campuses by either the like the like <laughs> gender awareness alliance or the like queer like I'm like I'm always brought to I'm always brought mm-hmm. to school by like those groups. So yeah. I know that they exist many places. Mm-hmm. And was that was that your experience that there was like queer representation on campus when you got there? It was, I will say, um, I think there is more, there's less of a queer scene and more of a queer community mm. at my campus in the sense that there are a lot of queer people that you can see who are visibly out or visibly transitioning and who talk about dating or, you know, going on hormones openly and are able to do so without much fear. Um, we, the queer student organizations on campus are far less active than they were when I first came here. And also when I first came here, there was only like one and it was super, a super white space. Um, interesting. Yeah. That's actually really interesting. So like it's, it's humans, not necessarily resource centers. It was your experience. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Like just people walking around. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that what your group of friends looks like? Are, are you in that queer group of friends that you're talking about? Or is that just like who you're seeing around you? Both of you to assume I have friends. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Book. <laughs> I am. Hmm. I'm painfully introverted. Um, and <laughs> it is, I found that it is difficult because of all the many ways that all my identities and experiences overlap, I sometimes feel so much older than the people that I go to school with. Um, and it can be difficult for them to understand so that they can empathize with me. And so a lot of times, if, if I say something, I'll see this kind of awkward computing look on their face and the, the emotional burden of speaking my truth often outweighs whatever possible relief or connection I might find. And that is something I'm working on. But the result is that I have a very small circle of friends. Well, Ren, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I hope that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I suppose, I suppose, like, 
some of that would probably be true for like any international student. But then, like you said, you're adding all these compounding factors. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just think about the experience of being a person in the U.S. and going to university. It's like often mm-hmm. the the growth is just like I used to live at home and now I live here. Like it's mm-hmm. like it's it's. Uh, I guess 9, there's 000. some. I, I guess there's some cross-cultural learning in terms of, oh, and we're in Chicago, this is the thing, and in Boston, <laughs> this is, but yeah. um, I would imagine that that growth rate is really different for you. I hope that over time, I mean, it's been my experience anyway, over time to find people who have, who I have more in common with. There's also the, I think what's holding me back is also knowing that there's a very good chance I will not be allowed to stay in, in this country. And so if I make friends and then have to leave them behind, that connection is going to, if not break, then at least be stretched to potentially a breaking point. So what is the point? <laughs> what decides whether or not you stay? Like what, where are you currently in the, I know it's, 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 legally right like it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily on a personal choice level it's legally yeah well it's just hard to get a work visa especially since um they've canceled h1b visas till the end of this year and now they're i'm so glad i graduated when i did actually because the new f1 visa restrictions for international students are ridiculous and i'm very glad that harvard and mit and my college along with a lot of others are suing the government for it but that is still a whole nother setback for people who are still at school right now. That's that regulation that you have to, if you're an international student, you have to take one in-person class. Which some universities aren't even offering. Like it just, it puts an extra burden and um, Mm -hmm. is is impossible in some situations. It is, and especially since, so I share an apartment with two, soon to be three other people. um, And one of these people is international, like me, and another, li- their family lives in a hot spot right now. So either way, going back could kill both of them. Um, and I'm, I'm just so thankful that I graduated when I did, honestly, because while it's harder for me to get a work visa at this point in time, at least I'm not struggling to get my degree still. And worrying about my family. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. What is your degree in? Comparative literature. Which <laughs> is a fancy way of saying um, English plus Russian kind of smushed together. Oh, plus Russian? Yeah. And I also have minors in those two things because I was an extra, I, I, I was an extra person and definitely an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you speak Russian? A little bit. Started oh. learning when I got to college, yeah. That's another fun fact they don't tell you about um, being the person that I am um, and about queerness is that I think we spend so much time looking for the right language to express ourselves. And for some people, certainly for me, that meant learning a bunch of different languages. How many languages do you speak? Define language. Or what what do you speak? (laughs) Yeah. What could you converse in? What languages could you converse in? Um, Malay, um, Russian. My German is rusty, but I could. Um, I am illiterate in Mandarin, but I could 
like if you dropped me off in the middle of rural China and just left me, I would be fine. Um, and I can understand Hokkien, which is technically a dialect, but that's also maybe colonialism speaking. Um, and the U.S., the way the U.S. speaks English and the way Malaysians speak English is different enough that I would call it, if not two different languages, then two different variations. And there's some code switching involved there too. Wow, it's a lot to hold in your brain, which I assume is just the same size as my brain. It's just a, <laughs> just a very packed brain. <laughs> it's one of those things where if you already hold so much inside of yourself, why not just add to it? You know, <laughs> you know when you're trying to fill a glass from a waterfall, the glass is already flowing over and you're just like why don't I just chuck a whole bathtub on top of this <laughs> well if you're feeling very full and as if you can't possibly hold more but you will I recommend stand-up comedy it's, it's, it's perfect for that you get to converse I would I would actually I would consider um stand-up a language I know that sounds really strange but sometimes mm -hmm. I, I used to dream in jokes and you know how that's how you know how that's like the standard for whether or not you can converse in the languages if you can like mm -hmm. in it. anyway. Um, so I believe that yeah, I would I would I recommend stand-up comedy. It will only work for like a period of time, where like eventually you'll be like, oh shit, that I need to move beyond just stand-up as a coping mechanism. But for a while, you're gonna feel, whoo, whoo, some great relief. <laughs> <laughs> and comparative liter literature, perfect, perfect background for stand-up. I mean, theology, a shoo-in. Exactly. It's all the same shit. It's, the question is, what's important? That's what comparative literature asks, theology asks, stand-up asks. Um, so if you do have to, if you do have to leave, mm -hmm. like I'm looking at, for instance, your haircut. Do, like, how, do, the, do you look Americanized? Do you look queer in... Malaysia like would you, going back would you would you fit in I mean I think the thing with me is that I have never fit in in my own country so home has mm. never felt like home um for a long time my body didn't feel like my own either so I'm very used to being uncomfortable in my own skin and I think I think it's gotten to a point where even if that's no longer necessarily true even just the moment I land back in the country and I'm conscious of the people around me I immediately become very aware of myself and how I'm presenting and moving through this space um but you know it is what it is well do you get any relief from that the feeling of being uncomfortable in your own skin is there something are there things that give you relief from that that's the thing, though, um, is that presenting the way that I do now um, allows me to exist in my own body, which I didn't even have previously. And I would rather be uncomfortable in a room than uncomfortable in myself. Tell me more about that. Like, what was what were some of the like? How, like, do you mean is it is it things like your haircut? Is it the clothes that you wear? Like, what are the things that are making you feel more comfortable? I think for me, it honestly was just acknowledging that I am not a girl or at least not entirely um because and i rem i think 
you say something in your book about 11 being the age that we start coiling our self-hate. Mm -hmm. um, and that mm -hmm. was definitely true for me because that was when puberty hit and I went from this kind of um, slim-ish androgynous body to something that people were noticing and commenting on. And so from about that time, for about the next 10 years, I, I say I lost more and more of myself in the mirror every day because the more my body changed, the less I recognized myself. And there was a time when I couldn't even look at my reflection and I didn't know who that person was. Um, so just starting to make that mental shift um, and acknowledging my non-binary identity helped a lot. And then um, outward presentation helps, but there are also, I've come to realize that I don't have to bind or have a short haircut necessarily to feel like myself. They do help, but the primary thing is just was just knowing who I am and understanding what that meant to me. Wow, that's that's really amazing to hear. You know, it's it's super it's this is I think a lot about this because you know, I wonder if I had been your age, like if I mm -hmm. if I was your generation of people, I wonder about how I would identify. And I mm -hmm. um you know, this the the like really awful and misplaced and crappy things that fall into like a turfy JK Rowling fear mm -hmm. category of things. You know, there is of another side of that that like I wish got more attention. Like I, I like that whole side of things, like controlling what other people do with their bodies. I wish mm -hmm. that got no attention. <laughs> um, yeah. But I do think that there's a part of things that that I don't really see getting a lot of attention, which is just a conversation about like, what does it mean when a community expands its awareness of ident of ways people can identify over time? Mm -hmm. There there have always been people who have been gender nonconforming. It's not like this is a new thing, but just as language evolves, mm -hmm. you know, as queer, you know, when I was your age, like literally nobody would like nobody I knew would have said queer. Mm -hmm. You know, and then now that's like the preferred um, sort of like if people are using the letters, it sort of indicates that they're like out of step with the, mm -hmm. <laughs> with the youth um, and more that they're like having a corporate experience of LGBTQ. Like that sort of indicates like that you're Smirnoff yeah. vodka or whatever, <laughs> you know, and it's rainbow um, capitalism. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's just very interesting to. Like, I think about this a lot for myself. And for me, it's like I worked with language like butch or boy, you know, mm -hmm. B-O-I. And, um, but even like those words, I'm not sure if I would have like identified if, um, like, honestly, I can think about the first, like, sort of moves back toward who I was as a child. Like, there's, like, mm -hmm. me as a child. Then there's, like, this thing that you were just talking about where it's, like, me getting away from that. And then there's, like, me mm -hmm. sort of moving back to that. And it honestly was, like, vests. Like, I started wearing <laughs> vests. <laughs> because it felt like, um, it felt like what, what a vest did for my chest like it made it to me, I don't think this is actually what was going on, but it made mm -hmm. me feel like I looked more masculine. 
Like, is it like, yeah, like the layer, I think it probably was like slimming and mm -hmm. might've actually made it look like I had the size breasts that I actually have, which are like kind of giant. But in my mind, I thought it looked like this sort of like boxy, like, I think it, it was like essentially like a binder I was wearing outside my clothes. Like I was like, yeah. instead of wearing it mm -hmm. <laughs> or like, you probably there was there, there used to be these tank tops that like had a built-in bra yeah. and it was like a like a bandeau bra mm -hmm. but I would wear like a bra and then I would wear like a built-in bra tank top <laughs> and then I would wear like a shirt and then I wear like a vest mm -hmm. and by the way I would also be like riding my bicycle to stand-up shows and it would be oh 90 I'd be wearing like four layers of clothing but I would be like this is how I feel good you know and I just I again it's not like mm -hmm. these things it's not like nobody, you know, wore an ace bandage or which by the way is not the safest way to do this, but, um, don't do it kids. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but like, certainly people weren't just like sort of casually mentioning binders, you know? Yeah. And so I think that my, it's, it's very interesting to be the age that I am now hear somebody your age, talk about this and wonder like, is that what's going on with me? And, you know, I don't know the answer because I also identify really strongly politically as a woman. Mm -hmm. I've also worked in, the, I've been in the workforce. Right. I know how misogyny affects um, that experience. And so it's just like a very interesting thing to look to people younger than you and see mm -hmm. and be like, wait, describe it. <laughs> Say it again. You know, like <laughs> it's really interesting to me too, because, um, a lot of things come to Malaysia a little later, um, which is, mm. I think, why I feel like a holdover from the previous generation sometimes, um, because technology came to us a little slower. So I remember things like VHS tapes and floppy disks and that some other people who are the same age as me might not necessarily have a, as clear an, a memory of. Um, but also the way language is brought over um, and the way mm. that gets warped in transmission, for example. Um, Lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender in Malay is lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, which is clearly just like English transposed over. But then because of that, there's a conflation that being LGBTQ is a white people thing um, and that it is like the terms that it comes from the West. And so that makes for an interesting dynamic. And then the fact that Malay and Mandarin and Hokkien um, don't have gendered pronouns. Um, and so the, all the different ways that um, queer and non-binary and trans identities intersect with language and with the way language is transmitted. Wait, they don't have, there's no, there are no, gen so is... Just like that person. There's one pronoun, it's for that person over there. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is super interesting for someone that, um, because it, it's also, I mean, what's interesting to me about that is also the, like, it sort of, it removes the um, most common way of hiding bigotry. Like, it, like, the objection of, like, but it's so confusing, it, which is funny because in English, we actually already use they as a singular pronoun how mm -hmm. what did the plumber say oh they said that like we already do it so mm -hmm. it's not actually a new thing yeah it's not confusing because we right. already do it um but i think that it would be a whole other thing if mm -hmm. 
we didn't even have ship. We didn't even have. Well, I think there is a danger to it too, because there is this assumption that, well, we don't need gendered pronouns because, quote unquote, we already know what you are. Mm. So there's that, you know, when you see someone who is kind of female presenting, you assume that they use, that they are someone who in English would use she, her pronouns. Um, And so there is actually a lot of people in Malaysia often confuse she, her, she, he, and they, and it. Um, and it, everyone just kind of brushes it off, you know? Um, and I think the assumption there is that, well, it doesn't really matter. We just, we just know what you are. And so that can be to me more dangerous than a language that is even more gendered, like German or Russian, where every noun has a gender, but then you realize, well, if the kitchen is feminine and this other thing is masculine, then gender really doesn't (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it's interesting to see how that um, intersects with identity as well. That is interesting. I'm a language nerd. <laughs> I love it. Have you are Have you dated in college? Have you dated people? Um, not long term. Is, is that... there something else you want to know about that? I'm happy to answer. I think I'm just wondering which angle you're coming from. I think I'm curious about um, well, like if you were dating American folks. Yeah, I was. I was so lucky actually because dating is not like a thing you're supposed to be doing in school in Malaysia. There was never mm-hmm. really any pressure to be partnered with someone. Um, which was like a godsend for queer kids, um, which I'm sure there were many more of us. I just didn't know them. Um, but I was so lucky that I actually was able to come out to myself and figure out that I was non-binary before I actually dated anyone, which I think made a huge difference for me personally. Wow, that is that's perhaps unusual for um, especially somebody like your age. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. like I just mean like maybe there's like a 14-year-old that is having that experience, but I think for many queer people um there's that like there's that moment before where you're <laughs> and there's like the the adjustment and then there's a moment after you mm-hmm. know yourself. Um you know, something I hear a lot in what you're talking about that I just want to reflect back to you is mm-hmm. like I I hear how much you're talking about being between like between a bunch of different cultures, a bunch of different languages, you don't know what's the next mm-hmm. thing that's going to happen for you in terms of where you're going to live. Um, and I will just say, I, I identify with that. You know, I think that something that um, has proved true in my life is that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, fi- I'm, I find that I'm, al- I'm always going to be between like I, I'm, I mean, even before, I always sort of identified as between genders, even mm-hmm. without using necessarily a specific term. But it's something that I always identified as, um, mm-hmm. and I also always identify as I will always identify as somebody who is like raised in a culture that I can no longer be part of because mm-hmm. my Catholicism was like so strong. Yeah. 
that it's a culture that mm -hmm. I will not ever rejoin, you know, mm -hmm. and it's in me and I'm not a part of it. So it's part of me and I'm not part of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I guess I'll just say, like, I think that that is as much as the specificity of what you're talking about, you know, des deserves all the space in the world. It's, I think it's also something that unites a lot of queer people is this feeling of like, what the fa what our family wanted us to be versus who our friends accept us as being or the the town that we're from versus the town that we settle in mm -hmm. you know all those things i okay. hope i hope that 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 you feel a little bit like that you're not totally alone in this feeling of between i really appreciate that i think since we were, we briefly mentioned the pandemic um <laughs> i think the way i think of it is that I am constantly, I constantly carry the feeling of breaking. I'm never quite broken, never quite whole. And there are days when I tend towards one or the other, but for the most part, it's like the crack that is fissuring out and there is nothing I can do to stop it. And there is no way that I can push it back together. And it just keeps going and it never quite falls apart. I'm sorry, that's the fire moose. <laughs> can you hear it? <laughs> I can, but it's faint. Okay, so um, if it doesn't bother you, we can keep going. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, How long does this moose make the alarm? It just... <laughs> this is the funny <laughs> thing. So, um, with my college and two other colleges in the area have a like little thing going on where we take classes. Like, you can take classes from all three colleges. And anytime we have students from the other two come to our college and it goes off in the middle of class and the professor just keeps going, everyone's like, wait, what's going on? Should we be panicking? Because it is super loud and super annoying when it's up close. And it just indicates nothing? It's a, it's a fire alarm. And I think the urban legend is that um, one is for a fire nearby, two is for far away, three is that our main administrative building specifically is burning down because it has burned down three <laughs> times before in the past. What? <laughs> or something like that. But it, but it doesn't indicate that there's a fire here now. It just indicates the concept of a fire. <laughs> Who knows, honestly? I'm okay, so got it. Please okay. edit this out. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is a good part. This is a good part. No. But you were saying, okay, we can absolutely edit it out. We're, you were saying um, that you feel that there are cracks, you know, emerging from this central fissure that is, you know, never quite breaking, but never, never closing up. And I think that's what a lot of people are feeling now um, at this point in time. And so, you know, I'm extremely privileged and lucky in the sense that I have had this, I've carried this with me for so long that I know how to deal with it. Like I am... When I found out we were going to be quarantined, I was like, I'm good. This is how I've been living my life. I'm totally fine keeping myself company for months on end because a lot of time, all that I have to count on really is myself. Um, and so in a way, I guess that's kind of depressing, um, but it's really helping me out right now. So who's really winning here? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel that you have hope for what's to come next in your life or do you feel that you're not thinking about it or do you feel resigned to your fate you know what is that feeling of graduation 
from college specifically is like such a precipice feeling. At least that's how it felt for me. The thing that at, at my school, what you were supposed to do is you're supposed to wake up the morning of graduation and like, or stay up all night the night before and watch the dawn, like watch the sunrise. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to do it from this certain parking garage. And it was supposed to feel like the dawning of the rest of your life. <laughs> and I just could imagine that that would be a very overwhelming feeling to to dawn into uncertainty. I will say, I think I have a very different, or maybe not. I have, I think I have a somewhat different outlook from other people who graduated along with me because I have always been completely over graduation from before I even started at college. Um, like I never got all of the pomp and circumstance because I knew that I was going like there were expectations I had to uphold at college. And a lot of what I did was not for myself, but for something greater than me. And so an event that is meant to celebrate you specifically and all that you've achieved Mm. always felt really hollow to me because so much of what I was doing wasn't for myself. So the thing that was greater than you is your family or what what is that thing that you were doing this for? Definitely family. Um, I think because I was very lucky to have parents who, I think because they came to the U.S. and saw a different culture and a different way of living, they raised me to be whoever I wanted to be and with, within reason. Um, so, you know, the caveats there. But that was very much not the way that everyone else in our community was raising their kids. It was you be obedient and do what you're told and follow the tried and true path to success. And you don't pursue artistic things because those won't get you Mm. a good career. Whereas my parents always encouraged me to do what I've known I want to do from like kindergarten. And I never cared about the judgment of other people for myself. What I cared about was that other people saw that my parents had been successful in taking that risk with raising me. And so I had to be the best person that I could possibly be so that my parents would be seen as a success. And I think I feel a lot of that still, even though I've learned to let go of some of that. Well, that's a lot of pressure. That's pressure I relate to. (laughs) I mean, again, Um, it's the thing with the waterfall. It's already pouring down on you. Why not just throw a whole swimming pool on top of that? That's not gonna hurt. Oh man. I run, I hope I I hope I get to know what happens for you. You know, I'm very curious to find out what you do next. And I so appreciate your time today. And that's I'm gonna ask you to shout out a Quero and then we're gonna go back to our days. Well, thank you um, for but, having me. And if yeah, you want to know what to happens to next, um I can actually tell you one thing oh, tell me. happening next. Um yeah. shameless plug. Um so a friend and I are coming up with a book subscription box service, which is going to focus on Black and LGBTQ plus books from both established and emerging voices. Um, this is something that we both care a great deal about. We're going to partner with lots of indie creators who share those identities in giving you a little extra gifts with every book every month. And if you're interested in that, you can go to newsonsbox.com slash launch. That's N-E-W-S-U-N-S 
box.com slash launch or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at New Suns Box. And I'll have the link New- on my socials and things as well. That sounds great. Awesome. New Suns, like Suns S-U-N-S. S-U-N-S. Yep. Awesome. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Stay tuned. All right. Well, I will sign up for a subscription. Gasp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. You know, my household loves a book. That's true of my household. But um, <laughs> anyway. Okay. Ren, there before I send this, you back in, mm-hmm. what do you say? This is an aside, but um, so on our website, I have a book that's called Gay Propaganda. That is the title of the book. <laughs> but so when I was taking like promo pictures for our website, I stacked a bunch of queer books, including your book, up and then just put the giant J- gay propaganda book on top of that. And that's on our website. It's really amazing I branding. I can't wait to visit. <laughs> um, would you like to shout out a queero? before I send you back into your day? Can I do more than one person? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know we need to wrap this up. Um, I just, there are so many people that have given me so much in my life and I couldn't pick just one. Um, but I want to shout out this gorgeous little stuffed toy dog who's <laughs> turning 16 yes! this year. She's been such a loyal companion and a very much needed object onto which I can project all my fears and insecurities. Oh so my god. I love her very Does dearly. Does that dog have a name? Her name is Edelweiss. Edel for short, because I was really into the sound of music at that time. Perfect. <laughs> um, I also want to shout out someone who is so inspiring to me in everything that she does and embodies. This is This is a person who has been so kind and supportive and even though we only recently got acquainted, she's already been there for me at times when I felt I needed to be understood in a very specific way. So massive thank you to Katie Nishimoto, queen of my heart. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, that's going to really mean a lot to Katie. Aww. Yeah. And that's awesome. I'm so sorry. I'm, I swear I'm wrapping this up, but go ahead. There's one last person that I absolutely have to shout out. Um, this is someone that I actually came across while I was still deep in the closet in the Salvation Army back in Malaysia. Um, and at the time, this person looked nothing like me, um, was working in a field I had zero interest in, but I still saw something that I didn't realize could exist until I saw them, and let alone something that I could want for myself. And I have so much respect for this person and they are so generous with themselves that they wrote a memoir that came out recently. Oh no, I'm so sweaty. <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Carmen Esperanza. <laughs> Look, do you see them turning red? <laughs> Ren. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, I really, I really can't wait to hear more about this book subscription service and everything else that you have going on for the rest of your life. Oh, that's and so uh, uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah.